financial crisis because um, this is spreading, isn't it? We're seeing now uh, the collapse in US dollar bonds of these property developers. Bank shares have been falling. Uh, it's led to a bank run in, in, in four regional banks in Henan province. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the basically uh, the uh, the offshore Official bond market was designed in such a way that uh, the buyer, uh, the, the 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 bond buyers would not have any right onshore. Mm. So basically, you, uh, these people just uh, can kiss their money goodbye. But in terms of onshore impact, uh, the the banks obviously uh, it will be like Japan. Thirty years ago, the the banks will suck up a lot of bad debts. But the issue is that uh, these banks are owned by the government. So uh, the the capital for these banks is not in, not that essential. Basically, they 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 keep uh, doing business even if they don't have capital, right? Mm. So uh, we, you're not going to have this kind of snowballing like you saw in the United States in 2008. So simply, the 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 financial system is like a huge absorber of bad assets, and uh, it stays there like nothing is happening. Okay, Andy, thank you very much indeed. That's Andy Sher, Shanghai-based independent economist. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. In Australia, the SX200 up three quarters of a percent. A uh, reminder that Japanese markets are closed for uh, a holiday. The Cosby in South Korea up over 1%. Now the Hang Seng due to gain about 70 points at the open later on this morning. Thank you for listening. I'll be back at 8 o'clock tomorrow. After the news, we have back chats with Janice Wong and Mike Rouse on Radio 3. The weather forecast, sunny periods, isolated showers, very hot during the day. Once again, that very hot weather warning still in force and it's going to be persistently very hot uh, this week. Maximum temperature could reach about 35 degrees. It's 30 degrees right now, 82% relative humidity. Times 8.32, here's Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Health officials have rejected a suggestion by experts that they should drop a requirement for daily rapid COVID tests for teachers and students. The idea was one of several put forward by four University of Hong Kong experts, including two government advisors, at the weekend. But Dr. Chuang Shuk Kwan of the Center for Health Protection says rapid testing reduces the risk of class suspensions. I think this is a good way to screen out those test positive cases, whether it's student or staff of the school from mixing together with other students in the school to prevent major outbreaks in the schools. So the pre- at the present moment, we only observe a few clusters of cases among individual classes in some of the schools around a few a day. So I think this is an effective measure to prevent major outbreaks in the schools, and it should be maintained in meantime. Japanese authorities say they're worried there could be a sudden spike in serious COVID cases after daily infections reached a record high. 110,000 new cases were registered on Saturday. Dr. Koji Wada is a professor of public health at the International University of Health and Welfare in Tokyo. The BA5 Omicron subvariant is dominant. And also people are having more activities. People are expecting to have a normal lives, but uh, now uh, rapidly the number of infected patients are increasing. Ukrainian, excuse me, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has sacked his security chief and top prosecutor over accusations that some members of their departments were collaborating with Russia. 
A number of people are being investigated for treason. At a news conference, the president accused more than 60 employees of the prosecutor's office of working against the state of Ukraine. The prosecutor, Irina Venediktova, and the chief security, Ivan Bakanov, have already been replaced. And in sport, Wang Jianen has leapt to victory in the men's long jump at the World Athletics Championships in the U.S. state of Oregon. The national team athlete was well off the pace going into his final jump, but he managed 8.36 meters, and that was enough to overcome Olympic champion and hot favorite Miltiadis Tantoglu of Greece. Wang said he would have been delighted with any medal. I didn't do well in my fifth attempt and jumped just over eight meters. For the last attempt, I aimed for a medal. The bar for a medal was 8.15 meters, which was just 10 centimeters longer than my 8.04 meter jump and should not be a problem for me. So I told myself not to think too much about other things and just focus on my own rhythm and the jump. I felt good after I jumped up in my last attempt. And the result was really good after I landed. I will be very happy to win a medal. And this gold medal just made me a lot happier. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Janice. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about the latest anti-COVID-19 measures. From last Friday, people under home quarantine have to wear electronic wristbands to make sure they do not breach their quarantine. An online booking system has also been launched for PCR screening at the Shenzhen Bay port to help ease the crowds there who are rushing to cross the mainland border. The measures come as the segregation for Health, Lo Chung Mao, says he will consider suggestions from pandemic experts to relax anti-COVID-19 measures while continuing to build immunity among the local population through vaccination and COVID-19 exposure. After 9.15, we'll look at the controversy over the eligibility of the latest round of consumption vouchers. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us, of course, and our number is 23388266. In the first half of the program, we will be speaking to medical sector lawmaker Dr. David Lam and Francis Fong, the Honorary President of the Hong Kong Information Technology Federation. Let's uh, first welcome Mr. Fong. Good morning. Good morning. And thanks for joining us on the program. So, first of all, um, how effective do you think the wristbands will be in making sure people isolate at home? Uh, let's see how the wristband works. Uh, I think when when you have confirmed uh, cases, the uh, citizens have to uh, wear the wristband, which is actually made of a uh, Bluetooth device. Uh, and also you have to install a stay home, that's called a stay home safe uh, mobile app. And then you have to uh, press a button on the app and then you have to locate your device, uh, I mean your phone at a certain location, which is uh, your home or in a, a, a quarantine uh, uh, address. And then uh, the uh, wristband has to connect through, uh, through uh, Bluetooth uh, with your phone. And that's it. So uh, either you cut your wristband or if you're leaving uh, home uh, with your wristband only, uh, when the Bluetooth connection is connected, it will uh, contact the, um, uh, the EH, uh, the Department of Health, um, and then they will they will call you and notify you, and they will know that you walk away from the um, from the uh, quarantine uh, premises. So 
to uh, approximately like 100 meters range. So I think it should be quite okay. Uh, of course, if you walk away not far away, it, it probably may not be notified. But if you walk from your home to downstairs to somewhere uh, mm. to buy something, I think the device will disconnect because of the Wi-Fi, the, the Bluetooth uh, connection. So uh, they, they will know. So I think the widget itself is quite a, a effective measure of uh, enforcing the uh, the, uh, the, the, the citizen. Mr. Fong, good morning. Um, we, two years ago, we were using wristbands. My yes. son came back from the UK and wore a wristband for however long was the quarantine period. They seem to work fine. Why, why did we stop? Oh, I think uh, there is a certain time uh, at the very beginning they're using the wristband. And then once there are more cases, they're running off the wristband at, at, that, at that time, probably like in uh, 2020. So they are using some uh, paper-only wristband, which oh. is not that effective. You have to scan the QR code, like right. maybe every 30, uh, 30 minutes to an hour, so you can walk away in, in 30 minutes, for example. Um, but I think at, at this moment, as far as I understand, they have enough wristband uh, for a certain number of uh, people, which, which is which got uh, COVID. So uh, as of now, I think it's okay. Another thing is actually, I think uh, the resources uh, allocation, because um, when there is a confirmed cases, when you report it, uh, if you are staying at your house, uh, if you if we remember uh, at the beginning of this year, we, we got like 40, 50,000 cases per day. So right. who's going to deliver all these wristbands to the household? That is the question. So, so in terms of the technology used, um, are, are these wristbands the same as the ones used before? As far as I understand, the, the, the Bluetooth version is the same as before. Maybe it's a bit slimmer, uh, but the, uh, the te- technical uh, background behind it is all the same. If you call or register on the website uh, that you tested yourself at home and you, you are positive, how, how are you going to get the wristband? I, 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 as far as of now, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't have COVID, so I don't really know. But as far as I heard, or you may know, actually, they will call you and they would deliver a wristband to your house by a uh, by government uh, people. Uh, that is a problem because if this is delivered by a courier, I think it's okay. Uh, but uh, but if this is delivered by a, a appointed agent or by a government uh, people. And that's what I'm talking about. If the, if the case is rich, like maybe maybe five thousand, ten thousand uh, per day, uh, they may have some problem of uh, the logistic. Logistic, right? right. All right. Uh, let's now bring in uh, medical sector lawmaker Dr. David Lam. Good morning, Dr. Lam. And uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, we've just uh, been discussing the effectiveness of uh, wristbands for COVID patients isolating at home. And uh, Mr. Fong seems to think uh, it, it will be uh, effective, although uh, there'll be a, uh, it really depends on the uh, range of the Bluetooth uh, of the user. Um, Dr. Lam, what's your view of the, uh, on the reintroduction of the wristbands? Well, the wristband, we have been using the wristband for some time, maybe a year ago. And we noticed that there has been some people uh, cutting off the wristband, leaving that at home, and then they just go onto the street. So those kind of uh, activities should, of course, be uh, stopped. And if we can use the wristband properly, they record, um, they record the period of time that people are staying at home, 
and if they leave home, it reminds them that they should go back home again. So it should be an effective method of confining those under isolation to stay at home, you, uh, provided we use it properly. All right. uh, morning, Dr. Lamb. Uh, do you think the government has enough resources to enforce this? I don't know how many wristbands they have, but apparently they said they have a lot of those bands. So um, now we either keep them at home or we keep them at an isolation centre. Right. Uh, so it depends on uh, what is more appropriate for the particular person. I so think most, who, yeah, an individual yeah, probably who, would prefer to exactly. be at home. Yeah. yeah um, usually, but depends. If, see, if I'm living in a very crowded space and then I have elderly living with me, I might probably request right. you to be isolated at another facility so that I won't... Uh, spread my germs to my parents, my elderly parents. Mm-hmm. All right, so Mr. Fong, I know you have to leave very soon. Um, I just want to get your view on uh, uh, maybe the, the health code system that we might be introducing uh, later on. Um, so, so apart from um, the reintroduction of the, the wristbands, the uh, government uh, is looking at uh, introducing a two-color health code system, which would require updating the Leave Home Safe app with a real name registration. Um, but so far, the technology secretary, Sun Dong, says it's not necessary to make any changes at the moment because uh, a, a SIM card system uh, taking effect from February would uh, serve the same purpose. So, um, Mr. Fong, do you agree? Uh, uh, as of now, the Leave Home Safe app still doesn't need you to uh, uh, register with a real name or you, you didn't need to tie it up with your phone number. So, if you need to tie it up with your phone number, the easiest way is to do it like those uh, for the SVF, the uh, Surveillance Activities uh, apps. Uh, you have to uh, uh, sign up with your phone number and then they will send you SMS so you can tie it up or maybe more with a password. So that's the easiest way. But still, you still need to update the app and actually the whole system will be changed because now it's not the real name of the budgetary system. Right. If you tie it up with a telephone number, then the whole thing will change. But your vaccinations are in your real name and they're, they're what the phone is recording. Uh, yes, yeah, yes. No, that's correct. That's why we're saying the, the, the vaccination system is actually kind of a real-name registration system for the Leave Home Safe app. But uh, as for the government says that uh, they want to title the phone number, uh, and then the phone number itself, the SIM card itself, right. will be real-name registered. So, uh, and, and then it will be tied up, and then the Leave Home Safe app finally will become a real-name registration. Registered, uh, uh, apps. I know you have to go, and there's one question I'm absolutely bursting to ask you. I think in the mainland, and uh, I think for what I know in Macau, it's a three-color system. But uh, yes. in Hong Kong, they're talking about only red and yellow so far. How will we get a green one? Uh, I think they, they, now they're talking about if you confirm the cases, uh, you've got the red one. If right. you're coming back from overseas, you yellow. So if you don't have those things, then you'll be a green one. So, yeah, but it, automatically, so the, the the system will update my phone and give me a green one, or the absence of red and yellow will equate to green? Uh, that does require the apps itself and your phone to be online updated, either by polling from the internet, or they will send you a, uh, a push notification. But either way, your phone will have to be uh, connected to the internet. And just one final question, uh, Mr. Fong. If we did have the uh, color-coded health code system, uh, do you think it would be a voluntary then to register your positive COVID test results on the uh, Leave Home Safe app? 
Uh, I, uh, for me, I think it's 50-50. But even now, I mean, it's not everyone, as far as I know, they register uh, the case uh, at, at day one. But when it reached like day seven or day eight, they, when, when they think that they're, they're recovering, some people will register. So it all depends on the season, whether they're it's like on the system. All right, so Mr. Fong, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Francis Fong, the Honorary President of the Hong Kong Information Technology Federation. Now uh, let's go back to uh, Dr. Lam. So um, when we're talking about this uh, possible health code system, um, I just want to get your view. What do you think? I mean, when I go to a shopping center for now, like right now, uh, or a supermarket, no one really checks if I use my Leave Home Safe app when I enter. So um is this another enforcement issue for for this to work? I mean, will we need better enforcement at public facilities? It depends if you are going to a high risk area. I mean, if, you, if your activity is a high risk procedure, high risk activity, such as if you remove your face mask for eating and drinking or talking to other people, then that would be a high risk activity. But if you're just going to a supermarket with your face mask on and keeping a reasonable distance from other people, I think it is quite uh, a low risk procedure and. Uh, it is still uh, okay if you do not uh, use your, I mean, if you do not show your leave home safe. But I guess you still have to record it. You still have to use it, right? Uh, uh, well, I, when I go to the supermarket, there is, I see the box there that I could point my phone at. Uh, yeah. But I I must admit, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> <And> nobody's <laughs> no, standing the there making me do it either. There's yeah, no, that is the problem. Well, no, restaurants, restaurants, they do enforce it themselves. Yeah. They, they check you. In fact, you not only have to point your phone at that box, you, you, very often they take a picture of your um, vaccination page on your, on, your, on, your, on your phone. I don't think it's a picture. They actually have to scan your QR yeah. code. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so far, we don't really know um, how this uh, health code system is going to work, Dr. Lam. And uh, you're often in contact with uh, Health Secretary Lo Cheng Mao and uh, Technology Secretary Sun Dong. What's your understanding of how this health code uh, will work? Now, the origin, what we are actually using is not the health code. It's just a leave home safe app. So um, it records where you have been and the vaccination record helps you to uh, help people to record whether someone that goes into their premises has adequate vaccination or not. And if someone has not got the adequate vaccination, they can be, they could be rejected from entering the premises. So that's how it works now. As far as, as, far as the health code is concerned, you actually can ask for a green code today if you want to leave Hong Kong, for instance, going to back to mainland China. And if you want to apply for that green code, you have to upload your um, leave home safe apps, visit records, and also your full identity number. Right. And do you, yes. would, would you have to have also a PCR test result? Uh, no, not at the moment. But if you want to go to mainland China, for instance, then before you can get to the border, you need a PCR test. So that's on top of the green code. Oh, that's, that's on, what we are on, working on right now. On top of the green code. Okay. Right. So you need a green code and two negative PCR tests before you can uh, cross the border. So that's what we are doing. Currently. And the second one is that at the bridge itself, and you get turned uh, back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. 
you're positive. All right. Okay. All right, uh, Dr. Lam, can we just uh, go back to the wristbands for a moment? Because uh, I got a few uh, messages here from our listeners. Um, this uh, message is from Howard. He says he wouldn't be surprised if fewer people report their illness to the authorities uh, thanks to these measures. And uh, I have another message here from Ed, and he wants to know if enough resources are being applied in the right way to uh, protect the people of Hong Kong, with a total of uh, eight people in critical condition in hospital with COVID. Um, actually, Ed, uh, the last time I checked, there are currently five COVID patients in uh, critical condition. Um, so, Dr. Lam, is, it, is enough being done to protect Hong Kong people? Nothing done. There's a lot being done now. Um, so the first thing is to get ourselves vaccinated so we are in a better position to uh, ward off serious cases. And the second thing is to use your face mask all the time so that you reduce the chance of getting the disease itself. And as far as hospitals are concerned, I think we are trying to confine most, pa- most mild and moderate cases to the community, leaving only the more severe cases to get admitted. They're just to save resources for the most right. uh, severe cases. So this is what we're doing. I was going to and, ask about that, uh, Dr. Lam, because I noticed a day recently when Singapore had over 24,000 cases uh, reported. And if all of those people were admitted to hospital, uh, uh, they would be overwhelmed. Um, but we, we, we had, what, three and a half or 3,000 cases on a day, and it's yeah. like Armageddon. Um, so are we admitting too many of the people, or should we be sending more of them home to just recover at home? Those who are admitted usually have a low saturation of oxygen on room air, or they're old and they're fragile, they have other coexisting diseases. Right. So even if you uh, don't send them to a critical ward, you have to observe them safely in the hospital. And of course, we the, I think the, the overall plan is to make use of community facilities so that most people are either confined at home or if they do not have a safe environment at home, that is, uh, they could easily transmit to other um, people living together, then they should be sent to an isolation. Right, because they need to be monitored for, for safety. Exactly. A monitor, not exactly. If the people, if people are having a very mild disease, you don't really have to monitor them very closely. But they have to monitor themselves and report that they develop symptoms. And I, I still remember that we, uh, the government, has a habit of sending people a pulse oximeter, which is a clip onto your finger that measures your uh, oxygen saturation. That is quite useful. Oh yeah, I was uh, offered it, one at the at the, yeah. at the jockey club clinic. Yeah, but I, I'm not very good with technology, so I, I thank them for their offer and reject, yeah. refuse. You just clip it onto your finger and then it uh, bleeps and gives you a reading. It's quite easy to use. And if that number is lower than 95% on room air, then better be very concerned about yourself. All right. Uh, and Dr. Lam, let's go back to um, our listener, Howard, who, who just uh, also asked about uh, um, the measures that we've been talking about, like the wristbands. Do you think uh, it will discourage people from reporting about their infection? Uh, I can't answer for people if that discourages them, but it is for the for protecting people, especially protecting other people. And the wristband is really to remind people that they should stay at home. Uh, so I would encourage people to really use it uh, properly. Otherwise, well, we got we gone through that. We have discussed about that, and eventually last round. Uh, we notice that it's not really useful because people cut it or they just go onto the street with it with it on their wrist. So we had, unfortunately, to take more draconian measures. So I hope this time round we can 
do away with those more draconian measures and just um, do it in right. an honest way, just stay at home. An important paper has just been issued by four academics from Hong Kong University saying that in looking ahead to the next uh, flu season, we really need to build up the uh, immunity in the community through mm-hmm. vaccination, which we all yeah. agree with that, but also yeah. COVID-19 exposure. So that, in fact, that is an argument, isn't it, for actually easing up on the controls so that people can circulate freely in the community. So get infected today to save you from getting infected tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you think it makes sense? In a, in, a, in a very odd way, I think it does. But, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a doctor. Um, but, but you must first convince me why is it safer to get infected today than getting infected tomorrow. Because we can handle... Unless you can tell me. Because we can, we can handle the numbers today as long as they're reasonable. But if we get a wave coinciding with the flu season, then the numbers will overwhelm us. I guess that would no, be... The, the, treatment, the way of treating flu is to get yourself infected. I mean, injected with vaccines. Right. I'm confused now. So, so vaccination for flu has always been low in Hong Kong. We never get past the 50% mark. Um, so this is something we have to drive. Right. Even among no, the medical then, personnel. Oh, yes, definitely. I'm, <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. Now, but then for COVID, you have to convince me that getting infected today, okay, is safer than getting infected three months down the road. And I can't agree with that. I, no, I, I cannot have any evidence to convince myself or my patients mm. that the strain is going to get stronger in three months' time. So if it gets infected in three months' time, it's just more dangerous than I get it today. How about a counter-argument then? Uh, I'm not pro- propagating this myself, but if we got all the healthy, younger, middle-aged people uh, uh-huh. infected today, then they would be less likely to pass it on to the elderly in, in the winter. Well, but why don't we get vaccinated instead of getting infected? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, well, now we what? can have a fourth dose. We're now over we 90%, are... aren't we, for... for uh, for overall uh, vaccination Overall, rate? yes, but if you look at the numbers for the elderly, those about 80 years of age, yes. only about 70% were vaccinated for the I first saw, dose. I saw that statistic, and I, I really, yeah. I don't challenge the statistic. I mean, it, it's fact-based, which is nice. We, we're not in alternative facts yet in Hong Kong, alternative no. truths. But why is it so low? What is the government doing? We've had vaccines now for a year and a half. Exactly. We are still, I think the, the government is still driving the vaccine and they are still sending people, sending doctors and nurses and other staff to people's home and get uh, those who cannot leave home vaccinated. Right. But it is a very tedious and very hard job. Because uh, the number of new vaccinations for first-time vaccinations is still very low. The daily number is about low. a thousand, a little over a thousand. It's over, well, sometimes... It's over 10,000, but it's still very low, uh, given the number of people who are still not vaccinated. So I would encourage people really to go vaccinated as soon as possible, especially before the, the winter time comes. Uh, and, and people must understand that we need at least two doses and probably three doses yes. to effectively protect ourselves. If we cannot drive that number up and we get, as you mentioned, over 90% of the younger, gener- younger, younger age group is vaccinated, <coughs> they won't really get... Uh, infected in a wild manner those right. who get infected will really be the, be the elderly people and those who die of the disease would probably be those who are old 
and who have other diseases. So by getting the younger people infected, it's not going to help those older people. Right. I just want right. to clarify one point uh, when you when you were talking about uh, when, when micro you were talking about uh, the views of pandemic experts from the University of Hong Kong that they're not really suggesting that uh, people should get infected now instead of uh, three months down the road. Uh, they're actually suggesting that the government uh, should uh, relax uh, anti COVID nineteen measures uh, while we continue to build immunity among the local population um, through vaccination and uh, COVID nineteen exposure. So I just want to clarify that point that we're not um, saying people should get infected now. But, uh, well, that's we a just... good way of saying it, but it's the same thing. You get yeah. yourself exposed, that means you get yourself infected, right? Yes, but they're also trying yeah. to encourage people to just get vaccinated. Yeah, so vaccinated is the answer, but not get infected. We we never, I don't know if we in, ever in history uh, encourage people to get infected in order to protect them a few months down the road. That is quite right. an exceptional uh, suggestion. So I think it has to be based on evidence right. if there's a and modelling. I don't see any model as at today. You're being intellectually rigorous. Exposure means uh, the the virus circulating in the community. Yeah, exactly. All right, all right. Dr. Lam, uh, we'll have to leave it here. If you look at numbers, if you look at numbers, we already have 3,000 a day of uh, confirmed cases reported, and those who are unreported must must be more than that. And we're looking forward to a doubling, perhaps, of this number. And that is already what is you can say is an exposure. All right, Dr. Lam, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's a medical sector lawmaker, Dr. David Lam. After the news, we'll take a look at the situation in Macau, which has extended its coronavirus lockdown to Friday. And in about 20 minutes' time, we will speak to Jesse Wong, the head of the Budget and Tax Policy Unit at the Financial Secretary's Office, about the controversy over the eligibility of the latest round of consumption vouchers. And uh, just a quick look at the weather. It will will be uh, sunny. We will we'll have uh, sunny intervals with a few isolated showers. The very hot weather warning is in force. Highs expected today of around uh, 33 degrees. And uh, right now it's 30 degrees, relative humidity, 82%. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Janice Wong. Now, Macau's coronavirus lockdown was supposed to end yesterday, but it has now been extended until Friday in a move to help contain a recent surge in COVID cases there. To give us an idea of what's happening, we're joined now by a former Macau lawmaker, Agnes Lam, who is an associate professor from the Department of Communication at the University of Macau. Good morning, Ms. Lam. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, we're also joined by Dr. Vijay Danasakaran from the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health. Good morning, Dr. Danasakaran. Good morning. So, um, f- first of all, Ms. Slam, can you uh, tell us about the COVID-19 situation in Macau? So, actually, the uh, situation is kind of quarantined. And so, since the government started uh, uh, kind of soft lockdown, we call uh, period uh, seven days ago, and so the the number of cases kind of dropping, especially in the community level. And so until, uh, let me check, until yesterday, there were like four cases uh, found in the community. And we have another 23 cases uh, finding from the, in Macau, we call them the uh, restaurant, okay, or control zone and the quarantine hotel. And so the situation seems like kind of, um, yeah, it's getting better. But at the same time, uh, because here we aim to have a zero cases, uh, we have the zero cases for policy. And so the government 
days ago is saying that, that now we might enter the, uh, they call it uh, consolidation uh, period. And so we need to kind of secure that um, there will be no more cases from the community. So then they extend, extend this um, uh, soft lockdown uh, period for five more days. Right. And so, uh, yeah. What is the hospitalization rate like there, and uh, have there been any deaths? Uh, there were five death cases already, and so uh, the uh, so in Macau we we, we do it like this: uh, everyone that are found uh, positive test, and so they need to be sent to the hospital or the quarantine hotel, and because we don't have enough beds in the hospital, and so even those who sent to the uh, quarantine hotel they will kind of classify as hospitalized. So so it's like everyone, they need to be hospitalized. But only half of them, they got the symptoms. All right, Donna das- uh, Dr. Donna Sakharan, what do you think of the situation in Macau after listening to uh, what Ms. Lam has been uh, telling us? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, lockdown being extended and uh, currently the lockdown has been extended for one more week. Um, and I think this short-term extension of lockdowns don't really work uh, for the first thing. I mean, the second concern is um, the, the Macau go- government is completely on a crackdown on zero COVID now. They want to bring it back. But what is the long-term strategy, which I'm a bit confused about, because I would assume that this is the most ideal time to relax measures um, and allow the community uh, virus to uh, circulate a bit, um, as we've spoken about a bit earlier in terms of exposure, right? So there's another independent point as well. So learning from Hong Kong, I think it's a really bad idea to keep zero COVID because there might be a seasonal forcing later in the year. And um, currently, there's probably lots of other things which are helping the government contain the virus, probably the weather, uh, very hot weather indeed for the past couple of weeks. Um, and so lots of other factors are playing into play as well. So if, if this is the measure that they're going to use, then I wonder how long. And if this is going to same thing happen in February, like what Hong Kong had last year, that mm. would be a complete disaster. Yes. Is, is there been some suggestion of, of allowing COVID-19 exposure because on the grounds that maybe exposure to this particular variant, um, which we can cope with, does help to give you some protection against future variants. Is is that absolutely, absolutely? I mean, I think uh, uh, several studies have shown quite clearly that um, a vaccination and followed by an infection, which is called the hybrid immunity. Um, it, it seems to be very strong. It's, it's protecting and there would also be, you know, multiple kinds of protection, not just the antibody protection, but also the T-cell based protection for long term. Whereas the vaccines only offer that protection against the spike protein alone. Whereas once you get infected afterwards, it, it would probably be mild because you've already been had three shots. It's going to be a super mild infection and you're going to get extra protection towards these other parts of the viruses. So in future, even after three months or six months or even like after a few years, you should have pretty good protection, I think. All right, I have an email here. Um, this listener, he, he or she didn't leave uh, their name. And uh, it says, medical research has shown that those who have contracted B5 variant are not immune from catching it again. So Mike's theory will not work. And uh, that's from one of our listeners. So, uh, Dr. Dennis Sakharan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the, we've shown that, you know, um, the vaccines don't really offer protection where they're going to reinfect. Uh, by the virus. But again, I think reinfection is overblown because many of the reinfections could just be a very few cells in your in your nasal cavity. You might just have a sneeze or a, or a sore throat, right? 
And most of these infections are going to be really mild, which means that the virus is able to attach to a cell and infect itself. But your immune system is fighting really quickly and evading and, and, and trying to you know, clear the virus much stronger. So reinfection is not really a huge issue unless it becomes severe. Right. Miss Lamb, back to you for yeah. a moment, if I may. This uh, zero COVID policy being pursued, it's shut down all the casinos, hasn't it? Yes, it is. And also, I think that in Macau, we also talk about the, the, the measurement that are the experts giving to the Hong Kong government. So uh, because in Macau, uh, I think the substantial amount of population, they also do not agree with the civil COVID uh, you know, policy. And so, uh, and, and you can see from the social media that some people will start to, to feel angry about that, about the lockdown. Mm. And it the first week when we, uh, or the first few days when we had the lockdown, people seem kind of optimistic about it. And now uh, you see that more negative, you know, emotion and opinion they're coming around. Well, a friend of mine has just left Macau forever with his family um, because the <laughs> repeated testing. And I, I think you're having three tests in six days for everybody? Uh, we have test for, yeah, as in the last show, we have uh, for four days, and now it's like sorry, it's it's too many times. I I, I I let me try to remember. So we have already finished ten rounds of tests, three tests. Is we did it for ten ten times since the uh, this outbreak and one month ago, and now we're entering another one, and then we need to do it three times in the right. coming hours. Yeah. What's the effect on the GDP of of Macau and government finances? The government finance is that we, we, in the last month, we only get like uh, 2.2 billion, which would be only like 10% of the, 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 the month that we can uh, that, that, that we can get before the COVID. And not, we are not talking about uh, 2019 when the uh, casino business was still good. But even comparing to uh, 2020, two years ago, when the uh, COVID uh, happened already. And so then uh, this year, the, the government originally estimated we will have uh, more than 100 billion uh, income from the casino business. But now we, we, we reach only like one third of it. And so, um, so the GDP is 60% drop compared to last year. And not the EDP, not, not to, to uh, 2019. Yeah. All right, but Ms. Lam, uh, although all the casinos are closed and uh, many businesses are, are closed for now, but uh, there, there has been a new round of financial aid from the government, right? Yeah, there will be a uh, the government announced uh, uh, 10 billion uh, aid uh, a few days ago. All right, and, and going to help those, uh, you know, employers uh, and also some uh, businesses. Right. And, and earlier you said uh, many of the residents, they're not happy with what the government is doing. Um, they're not happy, but uh, have they been uh, cooperative or have some of them uh, 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 sneaked out when they're not supposed to? So uh, I think the quality of population, they, they, they still kind of cope with the government policy. And so they, uh, we, we don't go out at all. But they're still be, because um, we, we have to uh, that if you go out, and like uh, without a mask or yeah, or working with your dog outside, and then the government can give you a fine. And so, um, so we have seven people. They were kind of found guilty, or they received uh, uh, punishment from the government. Some of them, they they even need to go to the court. 
so they got uh, criminal penalty from that already. And I have seen photos of some uh, Macau residents in newspapers wearing white T-shirts with uh, Chinese characters on it, saying uh, "No job, no food to eat." Uh, what's that about? So, because when the government announced the new uh, financial aid, they they're not going to cash and hand out to everyone, and only those people they have jobs in the past two years, and then they pay uh, they pay tax. And so uh, I think that the policy kind of excluding the taxpayer, including, uh, you know, housewives and also some people that they, they lose their job two years ago. And so those people are very unhappy about that. And so they're wearing their own T-shirt on the street and just when, when they go out to do the test and then they show that kind of slogan. And there are also some kind of uh, a mini protest, I can call it. So, um, so there's some uh, mid-age mainly housewives, and then they, they have their own uh, short video, like one minute long, and post on social media, and asking the government to, to aid them, and think that the, and also they claiming the financial aid plan uh, that the government announced two days ago was not fair. And so there are a bunch of people, they don't have money, and then they have no food, something like that. And so you feel that it's a bit unstable now, and so uh, they're... Uh, a lot more unhappy people around now. So it's a protest action then. Are, are there more protests uh, planned? Yeah, there's no protest plan. And so uh, I think nobody really wants to organize a protest, but people kind of send their you know, disagreement or frustration through social media. Right. And, and, but if the, if the casinos remain closed, yes. eventually the government won't have money to pay people compensation it won't have the resources to uh, be generous to the citizens <laughs> so actually the government is still using what we save like right. in the past uh, two decades right and so uh, the government also announced the figure that we have already using the money that we save uh, like it's like one uh, one one fifty billion already hmm so, um, so that's a lot of money. So in the past three years, it, uh, the government to the the, the, the the government to spend like one hundred billion per year, and now but but we didn't earn enough money, so we we start to use all those money we we save right reserves. And so, yes. Uh, from the reserve, from the from the uh, so we have two parts of reserve. One is the what we call the mandatory reserve, and that's up around five hundred billion. And then we have another reserve. We call it um, more or less like ad hoc reserve. Um, so that's like uh, 150 uh, billion. And now we spend more than that already. And so, um, so I think the government's kind of also nervous about that. Yeah. All right, uh, Dr. Dana Sakharin, um, earlier you said uh, you didn't really support uh, Macau's move to extend their lockdown by a week. You don't think it'll really um, help much. Um, do, you, do you actually see any parallels between the situation in Macau and Hong Kong at all? Uh, I mean, I do, actually. I mean, so hearing about all these numbers now in terms of funding, I would like to ask a question in terms of how much of this funding has gone to protect the elderly? 
mean, I would assume that a lot of pandemic uh, COVID uh, funding is being used for, you know, contact tracing, lockdown measures, sewage sampling, and all those measures. It's been nearly two years uh, since the pandemic. I was really, you know, your genuine question. Why don't we actually solve the issue with the hospital crisis where we're actually ending up all the elderly, uh, ending up in a hospital, which seems like a similar problem in both places. And if that problem is solved, or if we had much bigger buildings with specialized care for the elderly who are frail, who just need monitoring in most cases in a specialized building, I bet we could have built it by now. Right. Miss mm. Lamb, what, what's your view on that? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I kind of think about this yesterday uh, after reading the news from Hong Kong. And also there were people in Macau, they, they, because the government, we were talking about the financial aid. So it's like uh, one, one, uh, 10 billion for people. But then at the same time, we spend uh, 360 billion on the prevention control. And so then, and also yesterday, I think it's all social media, so so that also uh, provokes debates on that. And so now we think that we, we spend three, more, uh, three times of money on the prevention control, but not really helping people. And so there were people talking about that if the government gives us that money, we're going to stay home, and then we have food, and we have no problem, and then we spend some money. And so, but, but here, we, we don't, I, I hope that we can enter the period that people will feel comfortable to really, you know, discuss about the policy, um, you know, implication or the possibility. And now here, we don't have enough, um, mm. you know, professionals that they feel comfortable to, to discuss openly about what we can try, you know. We don't, we don't, we just have the, the government saying that they, they will go, but it's the, uh, it's the, the goal, uh, because the financial situation, and then uh, we rely on gaming and tourism, mm-hmm. and then uh, over the past 10 case, uh, past 10 years, one decade, uh, 70% of the Macau tourists, they came from mainland China. That's why we need to open the border. And so that, but now we're not talking about any alternatives. And so um, if we can, I think that, um, yeah, uh, may, maybe we can think of the alternatives. Because right. now uh, it, it's awful that we spend so much money on the prevention control, but mm. not really helping yeah, M- the Ms. elderly, and especially those people that are unemployed for three years right. already. Miss Lam, the vision for Macau... Uh, five, ten years ago, was that it would become, in fact, very largely did become, the Las Vegas of China, just as just as Hong Kong would be the New York of China and maybe Hainan Island would be the Hawaii of China, that, that, yeah. that China would have these three big attractions. Um, what is the vision for Macau now? Uh, I think... We still want to be at Las Vegas of China, but at the same time, I think that uh, if you look at what happened with the casino uh, law that we we, we recently um, imposed, and so you can see that uh, China already look at the casino as uh, an element uh, of you know. Uh, I think it's like financial insecurity of China because too much money. Uh, you know, get out from China through the Macau channel or Macau casino channel. I, I think that's some kind of, um, you, you can speculate that happening mm. and also the, the proof is the new law. So I think that, um, the central government and the government may somehow discover 
something they didn't really disclose to us that uh, you learn from different uh, reports and that it's too many people get too many population too many people they come from China to get All right. yep. what China wants is that we attract tourists all over the world and not just relying on China all right, Ms. Lam, I will have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for yeah. joining us this morning. That's uh, Agnes Lam, a former lawmaker and associate professor at the Department of Communication from the University of Macau. Many thanks also to Dr. Vijay Danasekaran from the University of Hong Kong's School of Public Health. It's now 20 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to turn to our second topic today. And it's about the controversy over the eligibility of the latest round of consumption vouchers. And we're now joined by Jesse Wong, the head of the Budget and Tax Policy Unit at the Financial Secretary's Office. Good morning, Ms. Wong. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So um, yesterday on his blog, the Financial Secretary of Paul Chan said authorities have received a total of uh, 30,000 review applications so far. Is that still the latest figure? Uh, yes, um, um, it's still the latest figures and as, as um, the, um, the evening of um, um, Saturday. And uh, is this figure within your expectation, or are you surprised? Um, uh, in, in fact, um, as you know, um, uh, uh, as explained, uh, when we uh, announced the new eligibility criteria on the 13th of June, uh, we have explained to the public that um, um, there is a new requirement um, of um, uh, uh, a registrant who has permanently departed from Hong Kong or has such intention will not be eligible uh, for the uh, for the voucher under phase two. Um, to consider whether a registrant uh, meets this requirement, we'll consider a number of factors. One of the factors is that um, if a registrant um, has submitted a valid claim request for early withdrawal of his or her uh, MPF um, before age um, 65, um, un- uh, 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 on the grounds of um, permanent departure from Hong Kong, uh, which means um, he, or, he or she has um, submitted a statutory um, declaration on his or her uh, permanent departure from Hong Kong, uh, we will, um, uh, prima facie, consider um, this registration uh, not meeting the requirement of not having, um, right. uh, uh, or not, uh, have, uh, uh, sorry, the requirement of having permanently departed from Hong Kong. So that's why we issue the, uh, um, the SMS okay. notification. And in the notification, we, uh, we also stated that um, if the registrant uh, consider that um, they, they have um, actually living in Hong Kong and hence um, they met the requirement, uh, they, they can submit a uh, review um, uh, within the, uh, 14 days uh, upon receipt of the SMS mm-hmm. notice. We, we, we understand that um, uh, circumstances for some registrant who have submitted the um, uh, claims uh, for early withdrawal, MPF, uh, may change and, and they uh, may have been living in Hong Kong. But uh, amongst the um, um, 240,000 uh, people, um, uh, existing registrants, who have um, submitted a valid claims for early withdrawal MPF, we believe that there's a certain amount of them did have um, uh, immigrant from Hong Kong. Right. Mr. The, the government's position, I'm going to say this, uh, with an open mind, seems reasonable. That is to say, if you've, if you've sworn uh, a declaration that you've permanently left Hong Kong, um, you've got no recourse. You, you, you've left, you're deemed to have left, and you gave that in order to get your MPF money back early. Um, 
I, I don't think the government's position is unreasonable. But there seems to be a big difference between the 30,000 and the 240,000. Uh, I, um, I, I think that um, the early withdrawal of the MPF is a, uh, we'll consider is a reasonable basis for us um, to, we have genuine um, uh, reasons um, to consider that this um, person may have already left Hong Kong uh, or immigrant from Hong Kong. We know that um, for some circumstances have changed, so, th uh, so that's why we, we provide uh, various channels uh, for these people to uh, uh, raise appeals. Uh, of course, I understand that for those who are living in Hong Kong, um, maybe they feel um, uh, 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 shock uh, why they receive a um, uh, notification saying that they they um, they, they um, do not meet the requirement, and they will they may feel upset that they need to um, provide uh, proof um, to uh, uh, support that they meet the requirement. Um, so uh, we 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 make sure that we will handle the, um, this wheels in a right. convenient and uh, and lenient approach as far as possible, and we provide uh, various channels uh, for um, this registrant to submit their appeals. Sure. Uh, they, 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 don't, they don't need a wheelie to submit by hand to the um, secretary or even the aid, um, service center. They can submit by email, yes. by post or by fax. Uh, they will handle in the same way. What, what kind of person, uh, what kind of case would be reasonable? That is that you, you swore that you were leaving f forever and now your circumstances have changed. What, what kind of justification can they put forward that you would think is reasonable? Well, I, I think um, it's not difficult if a person really has been living in Hong Kong. From um, the, the point of view of the consumption voucher scheme, we, we, we just want to assess whether a registrant really um, uh, meets the requirements that they are living in Hong Kong, they are not having <laughs> departed from Hong Kong. That means if they live in Hong Kong, for example, if um, they work here, um, they can submit a test. Um, return sure. or test statement, or um, I I'm sure they will have the salary statement. Uh, even for those who have retired, I think um, they will have some tendency uh, if they are living in Hong sure. Kong, or they may have some bank if, statement that's or easy. medical records. They, well, if they can easily prove that they're resident mm -hmm. in Hong Kong and, yeah. and, and still living here, which I'm sure they can, and you've given them lots yeah. of channels to do this, doesn't that call sure. into question the validity of the statutory declaration that they were leaving forever? Um, well, uh, I think when they um, make the statutory declaration under the MPF legislation, um, uh, maybe at that time, uh, I, I won't say that if they now prove that they, ha uh, they are living in Hong Kong, necessarily means that they make false declaration at that time because maybe they change their mind. For some people, maybe they do left Hong Kong for a while and they come back to Hong Kong. Or for some, for some reasons, they decide not to proceed with their plan. So uh, what I'm um, trying to emphasize is that what a, a, what a, a person uh, proved that um, they have been living in Hong Kong and met um, the requirement uh, under the consumption voucher scheme doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, violate the MPF right. legislation. They I understand. They make the declaration. That's another issue. I understand, but is anyone from the MPF again going to get notification of these cases? You remember you gave Mr. So-and-so uh, $2 million back early because he said he was leaving, and now we're giving him $5,000 because he can prove he's still here. Is the MPF going to do anything about it? 
Um, we 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 are uh, working closely with MPFA, but as I said, uh, whether a person has uh, made a false um, declaration or whether they have um, uh, early withdrawn MPF, but then come back to Hong Kong is another issue. If um, they, uh, people are free um, to come back to Hong Kong, even if they have um, uh, early withdrawn um, the MPF on the permanent departure uh, uh, on the grounds of permanent departure from Hong Kong, because the circumstances may change, they can still work and they still can join the MPF scheme, but just the MPFA doesn't have this kind of information. That explains why um, some people say that, uh, why don't we accept with MPFA to confirm that whether these people are uh, currently working in Hong Kong. We, we, we just have, MPFA only have the information of those who have made um, the uh, claims for early withdrawal on the grounds of permanent departure because they want to make sure that everyone can only do so once in a last lifetime. So they need to remove right. those defecations. But for others, the trustees um, don't need to provide the information to MPFA. So that's why we can't uh, cross-check the information uh, and then find out who have come back and, and contribute to the MPF scheme again. And going back to this figure of 240,000, uh, will you be following up on it, uh, for example, to find out uh, how many people, um, for example, withdrew their MPF because they filed for bankruptcy or, or how many actually left Hong Kong? Um, we, we don't have the information um, on uh, uh, how many um, uh, people have withdrawn, early withdrawn the MPF for other reasons. Under the, uh, the MPF legislation, uh, people can have different reasons um, uh, uh, allow them to early withdraw. Uh, what, uh, permanent departure from Hong Kong is one of the reasons. Only for that reason, MPFA had a register so that we can uh, have the information from MPFA. But for uh, the early withdrawal um, on other grounds, we don't have the information. And are you confident that uh, all uh, 240,000 people will uh, all be notified in time so that they can apply for a review if necessary uh, during the specified time frame? Uh, we have already sent out um, the SMS notification according to the phone number provided by these people under the scheme. We use this number um, uh, in April when we issue the, the vouchers. And also we, we do all kind of publicity to ensure that uh, I think a, a person should be aware that they, they, if they have a will, early withdraw the MPF on the grounds of a permanent departure. They, they, they should be recorded that they have done so. So if they have any problem, if they haven't received um, the SMS notification, they can approach our secretary or call the hotline. All right. Uh, now, if you are tuning in and you are one of the failed applicants to the electronic voucher scheme and you want to apply for a view, you can uh, just go to the website www www.consumptionvoucher.gov.hk and uh, there will be a green pop-up screen 